Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of the tribe, welcome Savage in Business, the podcast. I am your host, Mitch Kamich, the Savage in Business, and I am bringing my brother from another mother, a great friend of mine, Mr. Corey Poirier, one of the foremost experts in the world on getting your butt on stage and really being able to create influence and impact. And I've had the opportunity to get to know him over the last several years, hell, almost over half a decade now that Corey and I have been able to butt up against each other. And it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Now, Savage Business, the podcast is all about one thing, find really good people that are becoming ridiculously successful, have already built those milestones and markers in, have gone through the trials and tribulations. There are lessons to be learned from people that have had success in life. And funny enough, if you emulate them, and I'm going to quote one of your favorite books here in a moment or paraphrase anyway, Napoleon's Hill, Think You Grow Rich. You can sit there and take those road markers and use them for yourself. That way, you don't have to figure out it the first time the hard way like the rest of us do in life. So buckle up for probably the next three segments, 30, 35 minutes, a great time. I'm going to get my boy Corey on here in a moment. But remember, for this to work, you got to come in, you got to participate, you got to try, and you got to work your ass off. If you got questions, comments, or thoughts that you want to ask any of the guests that we've had on, you want to follow up with them after, or something you want to hear or see coming out of us, let us know. Otherwise, you think you got what it takes to be a Savage of Business podcast, become one of our guests, one of the Savage of Business? Well, hell, drop a comment on any of our episodes. Let us know. We'll see if you fit the criteria. So, Mr. Corey Poirier, it is always an absolute privilege and a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. First thing we ask everybody as well, Everybody's got an origin story, like being a supervillain or a superhero as well. Brother, how did you get started? Because you got a wickedly cool business. Tell us how you just got started and what really became the catalyzer for you in business and what got you to where you are today. Well, whenever I watch wrestling, because I used to watch wrestling growing up or TV shows, you know, Marvel or superhero characters, I kind of always had an uh, affliction for or, or uh, uh, admiration of the villain, but I don't think I'm the supervillain, even though I, you know, more resonated with the villains. So I think, you know, my origin story is somewhere in between superhero and supervillain, I guess, in the sense that it was, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, if I go back to really, really, it was, I'm going to say if somebody was watching it as a movie, it was kind of boring. I did all the stuff that some kids do, like, you know, I went out drinking with my friends lots. You know, I, I started smoking at much too young of an age, like 12 years of age. Uh, I thought I was going to be a rock and roller and picked up the guitar, but did, it took me years and years to actually learn, even though I didn't throw it down like I did everything else that I quit on so quick. So, you know, if I look at that, I was raised by a single mother. Again, just a, I'm going to say just a average almost lifestyle or, or childhood. You know, my parents got divorced when I was young, which wasn't as common back then, but still happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father wasn't really a big part of my life from that point forward. My mother played a, had a big influence on my life. But yeah, I mean, I really don't think there was a whole lot sexy that happened until I um, hit my late, late teens or early 20s. And at that point, that's when I started. Well, it's funny is that's when I started battling anxiety. I started battling a thing called hypochondria. You know, it's for those that don't know, basically, if you hear about a disease and you hear the symptoms, you start developing the actual literal symptoms. And so I dealt with that, both of those combined for about four years. And I hate to say it, but I think that's when my life started getting a bit more sexy because then I was dealing with real life. Like my father and my mother splitting up, getting divorced, that was real life. And then for a little while after that, once I made peace with that, it was just kind of your typical childhood. 
But then whenever I got in my early 20s, life got difficult. And again, you know, my body responded by uh, basically acting up. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know how much and further you want me to go back or how much detail you want me to go into from there, but that's really, like I say, when I think my life got interesting. Mm. Life gets interesting. What started to catalyze for you at that point? Because we don't just wake up and decide. We're not born with the driver or the impetus to really decide that we're going to be in business for ourselves. What got you started down the professional path of life? What really put you into that spot? Because we start out, we always think the same thing. Maybe we're going to go to school or maybe we've got a parent that, you know, maybe, you know, steers us or pushes into a trade or the number of people that I know that started out military service, right? That started to really catalyze those life lessons that drove people in entrepreneurship. What did it for you? So I, I feel like my grandfather who raised me, um, really, like he was like my father, it, definitely a father figure, but pretty close to like my father. He taught me how to drive my first car and all those kind of things. He was the only real, well, I shouldn't say that. Him and my father were both entrepreneurs. Now, they were not entrepreneurs in what we consider the classic sense. They were both carpenters, but that mm. meant they worked for themselves. They didn't, um, you know, they they punched the clock, but they were the ones that controlled the clock. So early on, my, my father worked for my grandfather. And then, of course, whenever my mother and father split up, my father went out on his own. But in both cases, I don't think my father, since the time my mother and him got married, ever had a job working for somebody else. Like he's always been a carpenter and my grandfather, same idea. The way I would say my grandfather's more of an entrepreneur though, is he eventually incorporated the company, brought in partners, which were family members mostly. And then they had the odd employee. So they actually, the four of them were kind of in business for themselves, but my grandfather was whatever, you know, the title, the foreman, like he was the main guy. He priced the jobs and such. And so I think a part of it, Mitch, was just that I had a person that was kind of the father figure in my life. That was an entrepreneur. So I think that maybe is what put it into me. But how I landed into entrepreneurship was different. Uh, I basically, whenever I was, uh, after two years of college, I went to a government-sponsored entrepreneurial program. And at the end of the program, the idea was if we came up with a business idea, they would give us a tiny baby, tiny, tiny, tiny amount of seed money, like really tiny, uh, <laughs> to put into the business. Like I think at the time, I think it was $2,500, which doesn't go very far mm. in a business. And me and a business partner each got 25. We put it in together. We jumped into actually launching a newspaper, like a business newspaper, which is really unique nice. for young kids. And, and we planned originally that we were going to charge for the paper, like, you know, charge like almost like a subscription, like most of the magazines do. And when we started approaching locally, everybody's like, well, nobody's going to pay for that as a subscription. So we found out, Mitch, after we launched the paper and we were in the middle of finishing the first edition, that we were going to be selling advertising which we neither of us had ever sold a thing in our lives. Ooh. And so we did that for about four months. And then he said, this isn't my thing at all. I'm not happy with this at all. And so he left the business. I literally had to buy him out. So within four months of business, I had to do a buyout. You know, I didn't even know how to run a Get business. Speeds. Yeah, I was like really getting taught the whole business quickly. And so I ran that business for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then I went back to working for other people. And I did that for about 10 years until I went back into business for myself and never looked back. But the interesting part about when I worked for other people is I was in sales. And even though they gave me kind of a, again, I'll go back to baby amount. They gave me a baby amount of base salary. And then we had to make up the rest on commission. Even though I got that base salary, I, at the end of the day, once I left that office to go and sell, I was really on my own. So I feel like for if you call it a career, meaning like I can't compare when I worked at a gym and stuff like that, 
And those are only yeah. very short periods. But everything else I did, technically, I was my own boss. Even though the, for 10 years in sales, I was working for somebody else. I literally, when I walked out the door, it was up to me what I yeah. did. And it was running my own business. If I didn't bring in sales, I would get fired. Just like if you don't sell in a business, you starve. Well, it was the same thing. And so leaving the office, I didn't have to report in and say, here's where I'm at right now. Here's where I'm at now. I had nobody watching me. I was literally in my car driving around making sales calls. And to be honest, I lived in Edmonton for some of that time. And I would go to the West Edmonton Mall and hang out for three or four hours to kind of, because I like sales, as you know, is so consuming. I was like, I don't want to burn myself out. I didn't know that's what was going on. I just literally went to the mall and said, I'm going to take, I'm going to go hang out. But it was really, I think my body's way of not letting me burn out from doing too many calls. Because mm. I got on a run, I could do 50 in-person sales calls in a day. Like it's insane. Wow. Like, so that you think about uh, eight hours a day, like, and I didn't, you know, go that hard that often, but you go eight hours a day and you start dividing it. What is that? It's only like six or seven calls an hour. And I was literally going in places, if you know, West Edmonton that were door to door to door. So what I'm saying is that's a lot of interaction with people and rejection every day. And so oh, I think consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I think I protected myself. So to go back to the original point, I think most of my life I've been in business for myself. But if I think of who was the person that gave me the DNA, it was probably my grandfather. Mm, that's really interesting. There's always that one point where we come to moments. And I mean, crossroads are a cliche to say, but we come to crossroads of those constituent elements that kind of tell us we're going to stick or life's going to drive us in a different direction. Do you remember one of those catalyzing moments that that really narrowed it down for you and had you staying driving inside a business as opposed to to hell with this? I'm just going to get a job somewhere and, you know, play it safe, maybe. I'd say it's different. So from what, whenever I finally, this time around, went into business for myself, all in, I can't think of a time since the day I made that decision that I said I should go back to work for somebody else. Like, I can't think of one second where I said that. There were times when I said, financially, Jesus, you know, it's, it'd be, life would be a lot easier. Because so I, so the thing with me, when I worked in sales, I, like I said, I almost had the benefits of being an entrepreneur, but I had a small base salary. Or when I left my last year, I did a contract with a software company. I had a really big base salary. Like I was in a place where probably the average income is 30 or 40,000. And I was at six figures. So to walk away with that, from that guaranteed money was hard. And the first year in business, I was like, Oh, what did I do? But I still didn't go. I want to go back. Now I will say the reason I got out of sales in some ways, I think I always wanted to be in business for myself and wanted to set my own life and destiny. But I think when I was in sales, um, what got me to start looking beyond the pasture was, I mean, there was obviously inner office stuff I didn't care for, but I don't know if that would have pushed me at the door. What I was looking at is from a, let's say a, just a general point of view, I was looking what I was doing. I was selling photocopiers, like I say, for 10 years. And that business changed so much in 10 years. Like when I first started, the joke was, is that literally you would say, here's the copier. Do you want to sort her with that? Like, do you want fries with that? Like, it was the only option was the, add, like, the only add-on was either get a, a sorter or not. When I left the industry, we were talking about, yeah. do we, we connect it to our network? Will it work on Wi-Fi? Can you, can I do scan to email? And not only that, when I first started, we were selling color photocopies for almost $100,000 that could print out six pages in a minute. So 10 seconds to print a page. When I left the business, <laughs> we were selling 55 pages a minute in color. And we were selling them for 
around well less than ten thousand. Mm-hmm. So in ten years, we lost a ten. We went down to a tenth of the price. And the toner, not that we made money off that, but when I first started, it was like ten cents for every page, not including toner. When I left the business, it was like one penny, including toner. So yeah. let's look at it pragmatically. If you were looking at that as an investment, would you look at that industry? and invest money in it. And if you wouldn't, why are you investing your life in it? And so what I was looking at is at, by the time 10 years was later, commissions, you got to remember when I was selling $100,000 copier, I was sell, making a lot more commission than selling one $10,000 one. So if you think about just theoretically, I'd have to sell 10 copiers at the same time as I used to sell one. And a good month for a rep was 20 copiers. Then you understand that every year I was having to work three times as hard to just try to match what I made the previous year. To me, that's not a business we would invest in. So why am I giving my time to it? That was what pushed me out of working for somebody else is the nature of that industry. What changed entirely for you? What was the, and by the way, I checked the little box that says bad words are okay here. I know that's not usually your flavor, but it had Corey finally say, fuck it. And it was all in on himself. So it, it's okay. So it's not for me, it wasn't as dramatic as probably other people. For me, I was working for that software company I mentioned. I it's, I basically it was kind of like a one-year contract. I mean, it was, we both kind of signed on and it said one year and then we'll evaluate it from there. And the next, so at the end of that one year, they, we it was both, both of us looked at it a different way. Like if I'm being honest, which was hard to do at the time and even still now, I, I wasn't all in with that company. Like I took the job, it was way more money. It was guaranteed money. It seemed easy, but my heart was calling me to speak. So I had already started speaking and getting paid to speak. And so what was happening is I was focused on in my head, trying to build that business while working for somebody else. So I didn't sell as well as I would have, if I was all in, like I was my previous jobs. And so on their end, they still wanted me there. They still saw me as selling and they still were happy with what I was doing, I believe, but they didn't see, they had started up that office in that separate place. They didn't see the sense of keeping me in one office through that. They thought, why not get him in the one of our other offices with all the other salespeople in a different place? And then he'll have their influence. They'll work together, all that kind of stuff. So basically, they came to me and said, we want to move you to California. And you know, and then it wasn't like, uh, let's do another year. I would have been working under the business partner of the guy I was already working under. And it wouldn't have been, uh, it would have been just a, you know, not regular job, but it would have been like, just let's go work. Let's go to work. It wasn't like a contract anymore. So they wanted me to move there. And of course they would have paid for everything. They said they'd help me get the house in terms of whether I was renting or whatever, all that stuff would have been taken care of. So on the surface, Mitch, it was like, you're dumb if you don't, but in my heart, I had started building a mini, really mini speaking career in that local town. And I had loved what I was doing and I wasn't okay giving that up. So I wasn't okay moving to uh, a place that I would have loved to have lived meaning California, one of my favorite places. I would have loved to have lived there, but not at the uh, cost of continuing down a path that wasn't my purpose. And I had already done stand-up comedy, which you and I have talked about, which yeah. uh, had led me into the taste of what a passion feels like. And I knew what that felt like. And I knew that there was no amount of money that would ever fill that. And so ultimately, the fuck it moment for Corey was ultimately... I don't think I want to keep doing this this way. And I think I can do this over here. I think I can make a living off this. And even if I am making less money, I think I'll be happier doing it. So I went in that direction. And that's when I went all in. And so why did I go all in though? I went all in because the other option was to starve. 
That's the honest truth is that I went into business for myself as a speaker. I thought because I was getting enough speaking on the side as a side hustle to kind of make a nice extra money and, and getting almost as many as I could take because I could only take a very limited amount while working in the copier business, especially because I got enough that filled those spots. Yeah. I thought when I went full time, I was going to be just like, I wouldn't be able to keep up with speaking. And then I went out and as I like to say now, you know, they say you build it and it will come. <laughs> I started building it with a hammer and I think people said, what's that in the distance I hear? Oh, I don't think there's anything. Nobody came. I built it and nobody even saw it being built. And so all of a sudden now it was literally feast or famine. Now I didn't have the, because I was all in, I didn't have the sense to realize I could have just went back to sales and made money working for somebody else. And I was sought after in a lot of ways because I had only worked for, I worked for a company and then I went and worked for their competitor for five more years. I had success in an industry that's hard to have success in. Then in the software yeah. thing, they wanted me to move. So I should have realized I could have went out and got a lot of money to go back into sales, but I didn't. So I was just like, I have to do this. So that was why I went all in. And then what happened is, uh, honestly, I wasn't getting enough bookings. To, to really cover what I felt was necessary. And so uh, I did, took this one booking. This was a life lesson and also a holy crap moment is I took this booking from a large company. I won't say the name, but I'll just say it's a big telecommunications company in Canada. I did, I did a booking with them, actually uh, multiple bookings. So they wanted me to come in and do a talk for their managers and then do talks for their service team. So basically it was like four separate talks, let's say. And I think the agreement was for like, 35, 40,000. So for me, as somebody that was like, I built it and they aren't coming. I was like, this is, this is nice. So I'm going to actually have a nice payoff for this. And I went in and did the, the talk. I, nobody gave me this, told me that I had, uh, then I didn't have the sense to realize that I should be asking for a deposit. And so I did the talk and I kept doing that. And I was like, okay, I'll just send the invoice as soon as I'm done. And they'll pay me a couple of days later. And then when I sent the invoice, they said, okay. And they sent me like a automated email and saying, we pay suppliers 90 to 180 days. So I just worked for like, you know, five weeks and couldn't take any other job on because I was doing this big job. And then I found out I wasn't going to get paid for our, like up to a half a year. So that happened. And so then what I did was because now all of a sudden it was getting more dire straits. And the irony is I left that other company, the software company with some money put away and was really caught up, but it was eating, it was, it was eating it up quickly. So yeah. then I, I got an offer. I don't remember how it happened. I think I approached them about speaking. But what they wanted instead was somebody to help them with a strategic plan. So it was a travel company and they were struggling with everybody going to online travel and they had all in-person travel people. So they wanted to do a strategic plan to talk about what do we do for the next five years. Ultimately, I worked with them on the strategic plan. It paid decently well, but at the same time, it was um, it was almost like, what I can't remember the deal we made, but let's say it was a $20,000 agreement for six weeks. Like it paid well, but it was almost like every week. I think they were paying me. I can't remember how it worked. I think they paid me deposit and stuff. But either way, it was still like I knew at the end of that contract, it was going to be a struggle again. Like it was it was only going to get me a bit ahead. And the problem was I couldn't take on any speaking engagements because I was literally eight, 10 hours a day doing the strategic plan. And what I will say that company ended up hiring me four or five times to do keynotes for them, not at a high fee, but they did hire me and that helped. And then it, that was just enough time to get that money released from that other one I did that made me hold off for a while. Just going to say, doing 20 grand in work at such a large chunk and knowing that by the time you get to the end of it is a wicked life lesson to have come at you right when you got to do things like eat and keep a roof over your head. 
brother, we're going to pause here for a moment. Go to our go to our next segment break. Brothers and sisters, stick with us. The great Corey Pori is with us. We'll be coming back into our next segment just in a moment. We are back. Savage Your Business, the podcast, section two, segment two. I don't even know what word we're going to use for that. But like all of our episodes, we break up into three chunks. We talk about how you got started. We talk about where you're at. And we talk about the stuff that's coming up and some of those life lessons and business lessons to pass on. We're at number two right now, back with Corey Pori on here, dropping some dimes on us as well, which I'm loving. Brother, life is all about the challenges, the conquest, and more importantly, just what we're going through sometimes on a day-to-day basis. What has business life been for you over the last little bit? What's some of the stuff that you really love about what's going on for you right now? Let's see, right now, I mean, there's so much going on. We launched, as you know, and I mean, I say we launched, I mean, it's four years almost now, but we launched this brand called Blue Talks. And that's right now heavy. Like there's a lot going on with that. I mean, it definitely eats up a lot of time. So that's going on, if I want to call it that. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's right now, it's still in that mid phase of trying to scale it, trying to automate things, and then also expand it and plan for, you know, upcoming stuff versus just winging it. Like it's that still what I'll call baby stage of, it's in between the baby stage and the grown-up stage of the business. And I feel like we're getting very close to the grown-up stage now. So that's going on. I'm also, and we talked about this in the past, but I got really passionate about this idea I had for a book and then I couldn't stop myself. And I ended up writing three books in a series and I'm really focused on like right now, as we live and breathe and we talk right now, it's third, it's going into the third quarter of the year of 2023 and not to date our, our interview here, because it will be evergreen, but in early 2024, my plan is to dedicate two to three days a week to that book, which is why I'm trying to fast track scaling everything. And yeah. I really feel this book was kind of gifted to me, almost like a people believe in channeling thing, like it really just flowed through me. And so I really feel that I've been told that I need to gift this to the world and, and birth this to the world. So that's that's a big focus right now is getting ready for that. Like I've been I always write first, uh, firsthand versus uh, on a computer first. And so, um, I, or shorthand, if you call it that, but I basically been uh, putting together my marketing plan for the book. And then I listen to a podcast every day that I get different ideas and I keep adding it to the mix. And so I feel like the the marketing plan is pretty sound and I'm, I'm building it up now because I know I want to do the pre-launch sometime in early 2024 and then the launch later in 2024. So that's something I'm focused on. Also a documentary piece that, my uh, partner, girlfriend, and I are slowly working on, and mm-hmm. I feel like uh, November, December, the first break from Blue Talks in a while, we're going to film my scenes for it, and that might mean fast-tracking it and bring it to pitching it and bringing it to some streaming services in the next few months. So uh, the best way I can say it is there's not a shortage of things to focus on or things to do, but that's that's kind of what's going on, not including family stuff, two kids, all the other stuff that comes with that, too. Just all those minor little details. Listen, what I love that you said, and I'd love for you to maybe illuminate a little more onto it. We have to be open to opportunities. You know, everything that we've talked about and each one of these conversations with a guest is slightly different, but it's still about the same thing. We hear lessons about uh, perseverance, endurance, sticking with things, the repetition that you've got to put in behind the scenes, right? Being able to steward yourself, kind to yourself, but more importantly, really being the master of your own. But you just mentioned something which is wickedly important, and that's being open to opportunity. You know, being adaptable, being able to adjust some of that. What has been part of that about about business? Because none of this goes in the direction we want. You know, what have been some of those moments for you that have kind of jumped out where this one's a great opportunity, 
And this one's a little bit of a life lesson tells us, mm, you know, maybe I should back off on this one. Give us a, a great example of either one of those. Well, one of the things that's hard for me is the saying that the figuring out what the no is when there's multiple yeses uh, that you mm. could, you know, could say, you know, yes to this or that, but realistically you can only do one of them. And that's always been a challenge for me. You know, a great example when you, it goes back to what's going on now is my fourth TEDx talk just dropped like this month. So literally this month and I'm, I'm going all in on it. Feel free, everybody listening to go and check it out. It's, it's called how schools can inspire action and to make life easy. You don't have to go into YouTube and type it. You can actually go Corey with an E on purpose.com. And that'll redirect you to YouTube. And so that uh, talk, it's about 6,000 views in a week and a half, two weeks. So it's doing well, I feel. But I bring this up for a life lesson or a reason is in the past, I've had TED Talks that I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to go all in on this. Nothing else is going to matter. I'm going to not distract myself at all. And then recognize that I was pushing a big boulder up a hill, you know, after it got to a certain point. And had to say, okay, it's time to shift to another thing right now and not worry too much about only focusing on this. So for me, the, the challenge with entrepreneurship is more so recognizing when to cut bait mm. and go in a different direction. And I don't always obviously make the right decision probably on that, but that's, that's the hard one. And then the hard one for me too is saying no to things that I would like to do. Like I have so many things I would like to do, but you know, every day I would say, because I am such a multi-passionate person every day, I'm on the cusp of a possible burnout. If, you know, if I let myself, so, <laughs> so I have to say no and be very diligent with that. Uh, and then also I have a hard time saying no when people ask for help. And so, mm. so I know ask what's hard to do, but in terms of what I learned from life lessons, where I've had to either pivot or say, you know what, this is taking me down the wrong path, or I need to go all in on this. That's for me, always the challenge is how to decide which is which. And so as an entrepreneur from what I usually do is I have a five part system and I call this my mission statement, but it's to be the guy that motivates, donates, inspires, educates, and entertains. And so what I do, Mitch, is I ask myself, yeah. It, and it's funny because in my, the book I wrote, I changed it to Demi and I made it four and I like Demi, like Demi more. And I did that so that it would be easier to remember, but I, normally I had, so that of course that'd be donate educate, motivate, and inspire, right? Demi. I had to I did, see when you have it, when you have it as an acronym, it's easy to remember. It took me only two seconds to remember. So I just left out one of the other ones. So having said that with those five points, I basically say, is this thing that I'm taking on right now going to move me closer or further? And if it's like three of those things or four, it's usually an easy yes without regret. If it's only one or zero, it's an easy no without regret. So how I go all in is I decide, is it serving that greater purpose? And then is it going to light me up? And so that's Ooh, how it's there. We go. That's at my gut of how to go all in. But as far as whether I make the right choices or not, I don't know the answer to that. I think the wiser people than me will let me know that <laughs> later on in my life. Loving it. Listen, life's all life's all encompassing when it comes to challenges and opportunities. All these are great, great things. If you really look at everything that's going on in life right now, what is one of the biggest challenges you've had to face? What is one of the big doozies, one of the big whoopses? And sometimes they come in the form of holy cow instances and others, they're little tiny moments, they're micro moments, but that really can bisect or change the direction of what's going on. What's one in your mind that's kind of, that kind of stands out to you? I mean, again, like all things with me, they're, they're sort of multiple, but I feel like the one 
that was a big catalyst for pushing me, you know, in a different direction or, you know, saying I have to go do this. And it was like a big pivot. It was a moment where, you know, I had, I decided that I had to sort of switch gears. And so it was like, just, it was definitely a big moment. And what it was is actually, we launched Blue Talks about, well, you know, this, you were part of the very first event. We launched Blue Talks three and a half months before COVID. So yeah, I want people to think about what I'm saying. Blue Talks is first and foremost was a live event company. At the time, no plans to do much beyond that, maybe a podcast or whatever, but it wasn't planned to be a bigger brand. I mean, it, you know, the idea was let's launch it and see where it grow, goes, but it was planned to be a live event company probably for two or three years. And so you launch that, record um, 30 or four, well, 50, probably close to 50 some speakers. And then all of a sudden you hear the news that there's this thing going around that's going to shut down everything, including live events. So you launched a brand to offer a service and three months later, service can't be offered. And so that was one thing. And then the second thing is at the same time that that was happening, part of the reason I pivoted away from mainly a speaking business was because I have a six and a three-year-old. And at the time I had a two-year-old only who kept saying, why are you always leaving? You know, so mm. leaving all the time and traveling. So I had that going, okay, well, maybe this blue talks thing will bring me off the road a bit. And of course we had a COVID baby, but we didn't know that before COVID that we were going to have a baby. But having said that, ultimately we launched this brand. And so the big thing like that, it wasn't a small moment. The big thing was, do I go all in on this brand now knowing live events are disappearing? And so this could cripple it. Or do I just uh, do what I promised and release those videos that we originally recorded, promote them, run it like almost like a six month business, you know, like to promote it and everything, but not take any new clients and then just close the doors. Uh, it was like one of those two things and COVID everything that was happening would make it very easy and understandable to say, I'm going to close the doors and I'm not yeah. moving forward with this brand. What I decided to do, and this, it actually, again, became a catalyst for change is I decided, I asked myself, is there a way we can keep this thing going? And so I looked at what had disappeared, which was live events, but I look at what had become popular, which was online events. So what, and, and also one of the people in Blue Talks at our second event in San Diego approached me and said, Hey, I saw that Pete Vargas did this thing at rise up. I think it was called. And he had these, this massive event virtually. And she said, I don't have the people to run an event like that, but I think you do with blue talks. And at the time we only had 50 people, but she was referring to my network in general. And so ultimately we started thinking about what if we were to do a virtual event uh, online? What if we were to add a podcast into the mix? And then the thing that probably saved blue talks, which wasn't even a part of the first offering was the book series. So then we decided to launch an anthology book series. And because people weren't traveling as much, I think, you know, the idea of writing in a book and launching a book online really appealed to people. So ultimately we turned Blue Talks. We were supposed to launch in February. We pushed it till June in 2020. Mark, COVID happens. We pushed the launch till September, but somewhere in between those two timelines, we decided to launch the book series. And basically what we did is we created an anthology book series with 30 authors in a, in a book. And essentially that kept Blue Talks afloat and rolling until slowly but surely live events started coming back around. So what that looks like today now, yeah. we've done six roughly live events at many of the big places you would, you know, you could think of. So like Harvard, Columbia, Cambridge, Oxford, UCLA, Stanford. We've done 26 of those live in person. We've done maybe 15 of the virtual events that we launched back then. The podcast has been going since then. And then the book series, I think by the end of this year, we'll have the 14th or 15th book out. And so, and that means we've had 
close to between somewhere between four and 500 people on our live stage since less than four years. And then 400 and some people we've helped become best-selling authors, whether that's Amazon and Barnes and Noble or Barnes and Noble. And so I say all this to say that was a defining moment for Blue Talks. And I think it was an important defining moment. And now, you know, when I look at four years, Mitch, I mean, it's really staggering that all this stuff has occurred in such a short amount of time. And, and you know, and, and not a name dropping thing, but the amount of big named influencers that have been involved in this brand yep. since since this started. I mean, like the Les Browns of the world, the Michael E. Gerbers from Emith, the Evan Carmichaels, the JJ Virgins of the world, all I can say are alumni, if you want to use that term of Blue Talks. Tommy Chong is a, is now- That's right. Uh, Dave Hester, the yup guy, or um, Louis uh, Lombardi, who's an actor, been in 24 and, and Entourage and stuff. So all these people, uh, Anthony Trucks is another one, spoke at our Harvard event. All these people uh, have been a part of Blue Talks as well. And I'm not even including them in that four or 500, like four or 500 people that have been on our stage. But I'm just saying, like, it's amazing to me what can be done in a short amount of time. Passion, perseverance, and our ability to adapt. And funny when you were mentioning it, because I looked up on my shelf, there's the first book in the Blue Talk series sitting right up here just above my desk. Uh, as we're talking right now. So I absolutely love it. Brother, we're going to take another little segment break right now. Hey, Tribe, if you've been coming along, Corey makes it really easy to listen along. Also, you've got to be able to not reach too far down to find those nuggets, those pearls that you could take away. I'm going to make you a little smarter. So pop back in for our third segment here in a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of the Tribe, we are back. Savage of Business, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Kamich. And here is my brother, Corey Poirier is on, on here. And he's been dropping the absolute bombs and the gems in here. Some of it's dense. The man's wickedly good as a storyteller, exceptional as a speaker, and there's an awful lot. So I hope you've been coming along on the roller coaster ride because he is laying out wisdom. And we were at a last break, talked about it real quick, and he goes, you know what? That's something I've never really said before to people. So we got a little bit of goods and a little bit of dirt that he's never really shared it away. But normally he's tasked to talk about what it's like to be, in a, to be as a speaker, to be as an author to be as that and not so much on the entrepreneur side. So you're hearing a lot of business wisdom coming out of men that like every other guest that we've had and everybody, every other time we've talked about business, laying out wisdom about the challenges and tribulations of weird enough. What I said when we started this episode, you're going to hear wisdom that the most successful people continue to repeat time and again. Why? They're wickedly important to get your head wrapped around. So brother, we've been talking about how you got started. Your, and by the way, I know the term in wrestling, heel. You know, you like the bad guys a little more, you know, so we talked about your heel origin story, if you will, how, where we're sitting at right now, vis-a-vis -vis Blue Talks and those other elements. Let's look forward a little bit. It's two years down the, down the road. What do you see as one of the biggest challenges coming at you next? And how are you already planning or anticipating to be able to go out and conquer that? Get out, get out in front of it, be able to punch it right in the face, if you will. But we always want to be looking down the road. What's one of those things you see coming up in the future and how are you starting to make plans for that? So I think always for me, the big challenge or obstacle is time. You know, so having enough time mm. to output all the things that are possible. And so for me, if I look at the future, what I see is, okay, you know, we launched Blue Talks as basically live events book series, all the stuff that those platforms are, as you know, we, as, as we're literally recording this right now, we just launched a new element of blue talks, which is uh, called the experts bureau, where we actually are finding speakers, uh, paid bookings and uh, helping people find media interviews. And so almost like a PR company mixed with a speakers bureau. 
And so that's the newest thing. And so that's literally, I'm in launch mode right now for that. So when I look at those things, it's like, how do we keep all these balls in the air in the future? And that's where I see the challenges coming in and where the answer I feel is ultimately surrounding yourself with good people. And so, you know, having good people on the sales side that can handle incoming calls, having, you know, a good person that can run the events. And as you know, my right hand, I can say Heidi uh, is amazing at the events side. We have a video guy who's all in, loves doing, you know, loves filming yeah. Blue Talks. And he's got a background. He worked with HBO and I mean, like high level. And so again, having that right person. When it comes to the, when we do the book covers of Blue Talks, we have the same designer since the first blue talk book mm. so, and and i find she has a certain feel like everyone has a certain feel that she brings to it we have um kelly as you know that launches the book yeah. we've had kelly since i think the first yeah i think the first book launched kelly did it heidi's been with us well since the day heidi came with us she's done every event since the day tyler's filmed he's only missed maybe two or three events because because early on we didn't give him the schedule quick enough and so having good people and keeping them is how it happens the newest thing is with this new experts bureau is I'm bringing on three BAs that are handling the stuff and it's up to me to provide them with the training. But then I want to bring on ultimately a fourth VA who knows how to keep, you know, keep the system flowing between the VAs and the people that we're representing. And so it's constantly, I guess I hate to say it this way, but it's constantly like make, what I see is we're constantly making holes in the bucket. And then it's like, how do we fill that hole? And I don't mean that in a way of like, <laughs> Like there's a bigger picture and it's, and we're filling the holes. We're making the holes for the right reasons. Like I want lots of holes in the bucket, but at the same time, we have to keep filling them. So I think the biggest challenge we have now is that this has so much potential to keep growing and it's how do we keep it growing in a way that makes sense for all involved. And, you know, one big challenge is, you know, when you're doing something like this is you want to plan for an advance. But then at the same time, like, so if you plan for speaking, you say, okay, we got 12 events for 2024, but now if you have 25 to 30 people speaking to each of those events, that means you need to you bring on 400 or 300 and some speakers. So it's always like challenging because, you know, you have an event always coming up right away. And so you need to make sure that event's full before you run the event, because you don't want to run an event with only three people that you booked three days like meeting three people to speak for 20 minutes each. And that only takes up an hour and you have three days to fill. So far, you know, this year, I think we're going to finish at 12 events this year. And so far we've only had like a couple of rare ones where there's open spots and mostly the open spots yeah. is because somebody had to switch at the last minute. So it's not even an open, like they were full before we got to the event. It's just that there was maybe a spot opened up. So that's, that's a whole separate complex challenge is how do you make sure you have enough always churning to fill those events? But if you don't plan the events that far in advance and you have the people coming in, it's too hard to plan an event in reverse. So it's it's a <laughs> I guess I can say that, and yeah. I think you understand this, Mitch, is it's a chicken egg situation. Yeah. So listen, I'm gonna lob a softball in here as well while we're in while we're right in the midst, the depth of the third segment as well. What's an easy tip for people? What's an easy piece of advice that anybody can apply across business? You've laid out a lot of wisdom here today. What's what, What's an easy one? Something simple for people to take away. Wow. I would say, I mean, because simple and easy to do, as we know, are different things. So I would say one thing that's simple is to start tracking your time and mm. seeing how much of it you're giving away. 
but that doesn't mean it's easy to do. And that doesn't mean the discipline of doing it daily because you have to really do it for an extended period, like maybe three weeks or a month. And what I, and the other part is the tendency is you don't want to look bad. So you change what you're actually doing while you're tracking your time. And it's not a real reflection of who you are. So that it's easy to do track your time. If you follow all the process of doing it, it doesn't mean people are going to make it simple. So, but I would say that's one easy thing you could start doing today is literally don't change a thing. But keep, but make sure you mark down everything you're doing and then look and say, how much time am I giving away and how much time am I really being in the moment and allowing what we talked about earlier for the time in between when your body says it's time to rest. So in other words, don't go, okay, well, I'm, I'm putting in 20 hours a week. I know I could be putting in 50. Don't jump from 20 to 50. Like your body still might want you to put 35, but if you're only yeah. putting in you still could be maybe going extra. And by the way, there's nothing wrong if you can make it all work in 20 hours. So that's, I'm going to call, uh, to me, that's a softball, but I don't know how soft it is. If you want to go even softer than that, listen to a podcast today that you know has the wisdom you need and take action on one tiny thing tomorrow. Love it. Absolutely love it. Business and life. Give everybody out there in la la land, listening land as well an example of where you consider you were the boldest you've ever been in business or in life. There's a time when, and I love dropping this quote all the time. I did it on another, another interview. Joan of Arc used to say, I would say to my soldiers, go boldly amongst the English. And then I went boldly amongst the English. When's an example of you going boldly amongst the English? Wow. <laughs> Cause there, there's definitely multiple, like, if I went to when I launched that newspaper when I was 19 years old, I think that was bold. Like, but I and here again, the caveat to that, Mitch, is was it bold or was it was it ignorance? Meaning I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I didn't know it was a big deal to launch a newspaper at 19, you know, with 40 pages of edge you had to fill and sell. And I didn't know how hard that was. So I don't know if it was bold or if it was just a happy accident. So let's use that one. That might've been at one time. Another time is the first time I ever did yoga. Cause I totally didn't think I sh a guy should be walking in with tights on doing yoga. And it wasn't a judgment. I just thought like, and I wasn't like a macho man that thought that was uncool. It's just, it was like, I, I thought yoga, I just thought like, mo it wasn't really for guys. I thought it was like, um, you know, almost like a certain aerobic exercise that might be not for men or whatever. I just, that was my mindset at the time because I was young and naive and ignorant. And so that was bold because walking through the door was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Maybe the boldest was when I jumped on a stand-up stage whenever I had no business ever getting in front of an audience and talking in my life. And it changed everything in my entire life. But it was bold because I would have rather been poking myself in the eye with a fork than getting up on that stage mm. that, at that moment. So Ooh, those are wicked. Those are ones I just, you know, I guess if I just thought what's the first instant came to my mind and in order, I would say the boldest was definitely the stand-up comedy. And then the second would be launching a newspaper or a business when I was 19. That's badass as hell. Last one here. This is not a softball. We are the savage in business. I am the savage in business. This is in savage in business. The podcast word savage of business for you. What does that mean for you in business and how do you display being a savage in business? This is a tough one because at times when I think of savage, the word, I think of like that person that's like jumping into the pile of uh, bones and carcasses and throwing everybody else out of the way and grabbing the carcass and it's coming up and they they have the big beard like Mitch, yeah. uh, but, they're, but they're, they're wearing just like the Tarzan thing around their waist. I like that's what I think. Cloth. 
think of, yeah, loincloth. That's what I think of when I think savage, I guess, in general. And so for me, I think savage a business to me is competing only with yourself, but going all in. So to me, it's like, I don't think of it as how can I undercut the next guy or how can I make sure that the next guy doesn't get business or think uh, the next girl, I can't let her have any business because then I won't get any. To me, that has nothing to do with it. To me, savage in business is when I used to say, people would ask me how I got in touch with so many big name influencers. And I said, ultimately, I was just so stubborn that I wouldn't let it not happen. To me, that's the savage is like, I have certain things I want to achieve for myself. And I just go all in until it happens. Like as a weird example today, uh, and I'll say this this one as an example, but have you ever heard of the, the book, The Five Love Languages? Yeah. Okay. So I know you've heard of that. Uh, sorry, I know you've heard of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, so today uh, I went for my walk today and my way back, I thought I was listening to Chandler Bolt's a podcast called Self-Publishing School. And I listened to interviews with both of those gentlemen. So Gary Chapman and Robert Kiyosaki. And then I said, huh. Why don't I reach out to them about being in my documentary? And so what I'm getting at there is I know a lot of people be like, well, I have no business reaching out to them. I, you know, that'll never work. And there's a part of me that goes, it might not happen. And it might be a no. And guess what? It's okay if it is. But there's also, and I was thinking about this because I did a training recently about how to reach influencers, how to get it on the radar. And the one aspect I left out is building it, like getting small wins so really tiny wins that give confidence to you. So by the time you reach out, you're like, why can't this happen? There's no reason this can't happen. And so, you know, for me, that's what savage means is that there's no reason this can't happen. I'm going to go all in. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to cry about it. If it does happen, then it's a win. Oh, that's a hell of a way to end off here, brother. We are done. We're going to wrap this one up, tie it up in a little bowl, put it on the shelf and let people just ravage the wrapping paper like you're wanted to do when you get a really good gift. Mr. Corey Poirier, thank you so much for bouncing on here with us, sharing your wisdom, advice, suggestions, your life story, the narrative, and giving us some tidbits that you never shared anywhere else. That's what we love about being able to do this. That's what I love about being able to talk to people that I know, like, trust, respect. And of course, there's going to be guests that I don't have any clue who they are, except that I've taken one look and identified them as a savage in business. You, sir, R1, thank you so much for joining me. To the audience out there as well, this is Savage the Business, the podcast. It only works because you engage with us. Drop notes, drop comments, check us across all the platforms. And by all of them, I mean all of them. We're like, I think we're up to 40 platforms. We're going to be launching across here right away. So when you get to this episode, check out the ones before, check out the ones after. We made it really easy to digest. Each segment is about 8, 10, 12 minutes in length. We take every episode, break it up into three chunks. So it's really quick for you to be able to dive in, take something away, listen to interesting people, follow up with them, reach out, communicate with them, get after them as well, and stay savage in business. Last part as well, we help people. Check us out, savageplaybook.com, mitchcamage.com, wdea.online. Those are all of our platforms as well. Come back and listen to the next episode, the next episodes, and check us out on forthcoming seasons. Corey, thank you so much for coming along on the ride, brother. Everybody else out there, Savage Your Business, the podcast. Get into it, get after it, and we will see you on the next episode. Love you to pieces. Make it happen.